You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Lord has for us here in the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one in your hands. And so just put your hand up. Ushers would love to bring you that Bible. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to have God's Word. That's how God speaks to His people. That's how we learn about Jesus Christ. That's how we learn about the Gospel and God's great redemption plan for His people. And so if you don't have one, take one. We want you to be in God's Word here this morning. My name is Quentin. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Church, Calgary South. Last week I was up in uh, Red Deer visiting our sister church up there. It was a joy to see uh, the work that the Lord is doing up there as he has drawn a, an awesome and beautiful group of people together. Um, and this church that was started in the middle of COVID and how the Lord has blessed it. And I know that you were also blessed last week with Pastor Chris coming down here uh, to preach to you as well. And so this morning we're going to be turning to 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 13 to 21 here this morning. Uh, let us remember again how much the Apostle John has been emphasizing the topic of love in this letter, that as the word love is all over this book, or there's some kind of form of the, the word love, it gets mentioned over 33 times uh, in this book. Uh, love is such a big deal to John because love is a big deal to God. In fact, the last time that we were together, we dove into what it means for love to be from God and for God to be love, that he is both the source and the substance of love. And, that, and if we are to have any kind of hope that we can truly love one another, it all begins and ends with him. It begins with love that is from outside of ourselves. It's the love from the very headwaters of heaven, the true and only source of agape love from God himself, who he himself is revealed as being the very essence and fullness of love itself, right? Our God who is love. And so we tasked ourselves last time to engage with this reality by obeying the biblical imperative to love one another as we are as we are to know the foundation of authentic love, as we are to see the demonstration of authentic love, and as we are to be the substantiation of authentic love. I know that you were challenged this week in your small group. How, how do we work this out in our life as we love one another? And especially as we closed out in verse 12 last time together, which said, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so we see this abiding and perfecting here, which was really just wetting our whistles for what John has for us next in verses 13 to 20, which has everything to do with abiding love and perfecting love. In fact, as I entitled today's sermon as his abiding love perfects, what we're going to dive into even further today is the inner workings of how God himself is so intrinsically connected to authentic love, how when all of him is for all of us, the realization and the results of such an abiding, perfecting love transforms us. And what we're going to see today is that it's going to transform our confidence, it's going to transform our courage, and it's going to transform our compassion. Because 
when perfect love abides, abiding love perfects. When his perfect love abides, his abiding love perfects. And so that's where we're going today. We're going to read here in 1 John 4, starting in verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to 21. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 12, where the words of God say, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are gathered here full of your Spirit, washed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his righteous robes placed upon us, that as you, our God, our Father, look upon us, you see Jesus Christ covering us, you see your Holy Spirit filling us. And so we gather today as those who you have saved out of darkness, those who you have saved out of our sin, out of this world. And Lord, we come to you this morning because we want to hear from you. God, we need to hear from you. You are our living water. You are our living bread. We want to feast upon what you have here for us this morning. And as we approach this topic of love, as as the gospel or this, this book of John here, this first John book, is constantly highlighting the gospel of love, we pray that you would continue to do a deep work within us As we look at your word here this morning, we see that all of you, our Trinitarian God, is involved in this process. And so as we embrace that, we also pray for your continued transformation in our hearts. And so we entrust this time to you. We pray for you to do the work that only you can do. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. And so to begin here this morning, we need to talk about what perfect love is and what perfect love does. So let's start out with what perfect love is. As the last half of verse 12 from last time together said that God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, God's love for his people, as as we've already studied, is not a shallow love. It's It's not a hollow love. His love is not a superficial love, but rather it's a perfecting love. 
It's a love that doesn't just begin, but a love that continues until the end. It's a love that not only concerns itself about a moment, but a love that concerns itself with eternity. It's a love that not only saves, but a love that sanctifies and glorifies. Friends, the kind of love that God has for you and his church is a love that is both sourced in his perfection and is concerned with our perfecting. Now, we may not have a problem with the statement that God's love is a perfect love, especially as we know that God is perfect in all of his ways. But we may have a problem with this concept that God's love is to be perfected in us. Perfected in us. I mean, what does that mean? Well, as our English language sometimes struggles to fully express what the original author was writing, this word being translated as perfected is from the Greek word teleo. Teleo, which for sure does mean perfect, but it's perfect in a nuanced sense of being completed. It's in the sense of of God bringing something to an end or a finishing or an accomplishing Right? Not, not perfect in the sense that you and I could ever be perfect this side of heaven, uh, especially when it comes to love, but that God is moving us in a direction of completing his love in us. It's moving in a direction of completion. That God has a goal for his love, that as he pours it out into us, he has an end goal, an end game in mind, and that is to further complete us in his image that he's determined to complete his love in us. And so as last time together, we talked about God being the source and the substance of authentic love. The reality that we all face, friends, is that to be perfected or to be completed in his love, again, requires a massive work of God. It requires God's power. It requires God's presence. In fact, this perfecting love that John is talking about here requires all of God, all aspects of his personhood and his character. And that's what John starts out here with us this morning as we see him connect perfect love to God's Trinitarian nature. I mean, just look at verses 13 to 14 with me here, where John writes, and we'll read it again, He writes, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe What? To believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so what we see John clearly focusing on right here is how this perfecting love of God is a Trinitarian love. Right? We see the Spirit in verse 13. We see the Father in verse 14. And we see Jesus, the Son, in both verses 14 and 15. Friends, this is one of those special places in Scripture that we can see so clearly God revealing himself as a triune God, triune in nature, right? Yes, God is one, but he reveals himself in three persons. 
We have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. All three are God. All three are equal in essence. Yet all three of them play unique roles and distinct roles within the Trinitarian Godhead. And so when it comes down to the reality that God is love, one thing that we need to remember when we're talking about perfect love is that this kind of love is only perfectly demonstrated within the relationship that God has within himself. As you think about the Trinity and as we look at the scriptures, we see that there is a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, this is an eternal love. This is an eternal loving relationship between the persons of the Godhead. And this is infinite, perfect love, both in eternity past and in the present and eternity to come. That God within himself, within his very nature of being one yet three, has absolute perfect love for one another. That as Jesus himself said in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The perfect love that, that Jesus is talking about is a love that he's experienced forever with the Father. This is infinite, intra-Trinitarian love. And friends, if we want to love God as God loves... This is so crucial and essential for us to understand. And so as John goes on, and as he connects abiding love with perfect love, we have to remember the Trinity. We have to remember all of God. And when we do that, we get verse 13, which says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. That as the Spirit is given to each and every true believer, we can know this love as the Spirit abides within us. Right? As the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God dwelling within us, His church, the Spirit is the one who regenerates us, right? The Spirit is the one who causes us to be born again. This is the Spirit is the one that was prophesied to do that deep work. In our hearts, Ezekiel the prophet said in, in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, as love is something commanded to us by God, to be able to obey the commandment to love is a spiritually enabled thing. That not only does, does authentic love come from the fountainhead of heaven, but because God so loved us, he places his very spirit within us, his very presence within us. And the spirit goes into your heart and he cultivates that heart and he plants the seeds of love. And then what comes out of that is spiritual fruit of love begins to grow. Friends, you truly cannot love apart from this. You have to be born again by the spirit. Just like the last time we were together, it was, it was speaking about being born of God. To be born of God is to be born of the spirit. And now that we have his indwelling spirit, friends, we have to remember that we have now have access to that fountainhead of love. And I'm going to say this too, that, that Christians only, 
Only Christians have access to that fountainhead of true love. This is a spiritual thing. And then with that, the text goes on to talk about this perfect love and how it's connected to now what we believe. As verse 14 goes on, it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Friends, in the grace and the mercy of our all-knowing Father, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Right? That's the Father sending the Son. Again, as we studied last time, this is that demonstration of love that we heard about. This is that propitiation type of love. That not only did God send his son to live for us, but he sent his son on a death mission in order to appease God's wrath so that we might have life and life eternal. So this is that love from the Father within that Trinitarian Godhead. We, we see this as his ultimate plan to send his Son and his plan as well to send the Spirit. We see this as his redemptive plan. This is the gospel and how that was planned before even the foundation of time. Ephesians 1, 3 to 5 reminds us of that. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love the Father predestines us for adoption to himself. Friends, this is the Father's plan all along. This is that life-saving, forever-loving message that he has given to us and we take to the whole world. That as John and the apostles, as John is writing him, they, here they, he says, we have seen and we testify. This is the gospel that they testify to. And as we also hear that message from them in the word by the Holy Spirit, this is our message to the world as well. So we see this and we testify to this as well. We testify to this message of a loving father. We get to share that with the whole world. We get to share a message of perfect love in a world that is so fallen and twisted and broken that there is a benevolent, giving and sending and loving God that saves sinners from their sin and a God who wants to perfect their love. And so we see the Trinitarian involvement here. We see the Holy Spirit. We see the Father all over it. We also see the Son of God. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, Right? That, that's, that's Jesus who is not just a good man who did amazing things. That's the Jesus who's, who's not just another rabbi with great moral teachings. That's Jesus who is not a created being. That's Jesus who is not an angel. Now what do we confess about him? We confess that he is the very son of God. He's the very eternal son of God. Friends, this is ground zero for true faith and for true love. This is one of those, again, spiritually enabled things that God does through his spirit within us 
We're reminded of this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, where Paul writes, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Or as he also writes in Romans 10, 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, the fact that you can truly confess that Christ is God and believe it is all due to a Trinitarian work of God within you. That whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, John says this, he says, God abides in him and he in God. So we need to understand this is a Trinitarian work, right? There's a giving going on. There's a sending going on. There is a confessing. We can't do this on our own. And we would never make this up. This is all of God for all of us, which is connected to the perfect love that John goes to here in verse 16, where he says, so we have come to know and believe. Believe what? To know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Friends, this is how we experience true, authentic love, and this is how we know it. This is how we believe it. It's all a Trinitarian work which reflects the intra-Trinitarian relationship. That's perfect love. And so as we see John so clearly connecting the Trinity here to love, friends, what we see is that all of God at work in us is so critically essential for the operation of love. And so that question that we started with here is, what is perfect love? Friends, this is it. This is the what, this is the why, this is the how behind perfect love. And so just to review those things, when perfect love abides, it involves A, a receiving of the Spirit's presence, B, a believing in the Father's saving plan, that's the gospel, and C, a confessing of Jesus as the Son of God. And so if you have these three critical marks of true faith, of true abiding, John says you abide in God and God abides in you. You have access to perfect love. And so as we start with those theological underpinnings behind the perfect love of God, these Trinitarian realities for those who abide in God, as he is bent on perfecting his love in us, and as we abide in him and as he abides in us, this is how that perfecting takes place. John is saying, if you abide in God's love and his, li his love abides in you, it means that his love, again, that fountain of love is ready, it's available, it is full, so that you can be perfected, you can be completed. Which as he says in verse 17, he says, by this is love perfected with us. And so as we know what perfect love is, now we turn to what perfect love does. That as perfect love abides, abiding love perfects. Which, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, it transforms three things. It transforms your confidence, it transforms your courage, 
and it transforms your compassion. So let me begin this section by asking you about your Christian confidence, your spiritual assurance. Where are you at with that? Are you confident in your standing before God? Are you confident that when the books are open on that last day, that you have nothing to worry about before the Lord? Or are you not sure? Are you worried? Are you lacking assurance of your salvation? Well, friend, wherever you are with this, what you have to know right now is that abiding love drastically transforms your confidence. That's where John goes to next. Because as abiding love perfects, it transforms our confidence. Friends, to truly abide in perfect love is ultimately going to grow within you an unwavering assurance. An unwavering assurance. Verse 17 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Friends, as you stop to think about the day of judgment, is that a scary thing for you? Is that a terrifying thing to try to comprehend? Are you sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? And that you will be judged to eternal life and not death? That Jesus will look to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you worried that he's going to say, depart from me? I never knew you. Now I know that even for the most seasoned follower of Christ, that there is a sobering quality when we think about the last day. There's some sobering thoughts as we anticipate Christ's return and, and, and the coming judgment of the world. And sometimes we wonder to ourselves, to ourselves am, I, am I really sure? Am I really sure that I'm with him? That it all comes down to this. But what John has been teaching in this book already and what he continues to teach right here is that if you are abiding in God's love, marked by the Trinitarian work of God within you and his perfecting of you, that you have nothing to worry about and you have everything to hope in. Friends, this is one of the the most crucial realities we have to wrap our minds around and our hearts around as we think about the end. This is a massive thing that God wants to perfect and complete in you. That if he is truly abiding in you, and if you are truly abiding in him, you can be absolutely certain that you are absolutely secure and safe for all eternity. Right? That as we studied in Philippians, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Do we really believe that? Friends, if you are truly God's, if you are truly a Christian, God doesn't want you to be lacking in any confidence in your standing before him. No, he wants you to have absolute certainty of your salvation. Because why? Because he is absolute certainty for your salvation. And how do we know this? Well, as John goes on, he says, we may have confidence for the day of judgment 
Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Friends, it's not about you. It's about him. If we are in Christ, as he is, the text says, so also are we in this world. It's all about his finished work. That as he lived and died and rose again for us, our standing before God is not our own doing, but it is the doing of Christ. And that this is the present reality that we can have confidence in right now and in the end to come. It's like what John already taught in chapter 3, verse 2, where he said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Friends, we live in this church age of the already not yet. Right? As he is, we are right now. But as he returns, we shall be like him. It all comes down to our future hope and our present reality in Jesus Christ. That as Jesus saves, his salvation towards us is 100%. Right? God doesn't save and, and take things back. God doesn't change his mind. As Jesus himself said in John 10, 28, he said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a promise. Friends, who God saves, God keeps until the end. Not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. And because through justification, his righteousness is credited to our account, not later, right now. Right now. So friends, let me tell you, your confidence your confidence is not to be found in a day that you said a prayer. Your confidence is not to be found in, in a day that you walked an aisle and maybe you, you raised your hand. Your confidence is not to be found in the fact that you got baptized or on the fact that you do good works. No, your confidence needs to be based on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Even in the face of the reality, friends, that we still struggle with sin. Anybody still struggle with sin? should see everybody's hand up. Even when you have bad days, even when you don't fear, feel so spiritual, we have to be trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Martin Luther said, he said, if consciousness of a great sin weighs you down, comfort yourself with this blood of love. No human religion can hold, hold its own in the face of the judgment, but it is solely in the blood of Christ that we can have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence in his blood. Confidence in his righteousness. So friends, don't believe maybe some old, maybe faulty theology you may be carrying around, or maybe that you believed when you were younger that you could lose your salvation that you could lose it every second week, that you need to keep recommitting your life back to God to get into a right standing with him. That's not the gospel. Don't be tempted to let how your feelings or your emotions can be playing into your security. 
Don't let that toy around with your assurance. If you are truly saved, John says here, as he is, so also are we in this world. What does that mean? As Jesus is right now, so also are we in this world. That's talking about the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness he earned through his life, that upon the cross, as your sin was put on him, his righteousness was imputed to you. So that when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Christ's righteousness. Now, if you're an unbeliever amongst us, this would be that urgent call for you to get right with the Lord. Because if you're not a Christian, if you haven't truly repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation, then you should be worried. You should have no confidence before the Lord. You don't come to to God and say, God, look at all the good things I've done. Because one sin is worthy of eternal punishment. Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. No, your sin, like all of our sin here, is worthy of eternal death. As Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you haven't truly realized your sin before a holy God, if you haven't been broken and brought to a place of confession and repentance before God, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe in not my righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness alone, that I couldn't do it, but he did it perfectly for me. If you're not his, you're in infinite, eternal trouble. And God's righteous judgment does await. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, God made the way. That just as we heard, the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And as verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Or as Romans 10, 9-10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And friends, the moment that the Lord does that work in you, you can be absolutely confident that as he is, so also are you in this world. You are saved forever. You were covered in his righteousness. You are forgiven all of your sin, past, present, future. You are holy and you are blameless before him, not because you yourself are holy, but because Jesus Christ is holy. Jesus Christ is righteous and he gives that to you. He applies that to your account and your account is infinitely full. Friends, this is the authentic Christian life. The authentic Christian life is to be the most confident life. Not confident in the sense that it should puff you up in pride. Hey, hey, look at me, I believed. 
Not confident in the sense that you see yourself as more important than somebody else, but confident in the mercy and the grace of God to save a wretched sinner like you and like me. And so as perfect love abides, and abiding love perfects our confidence, friends, this should produce an unwavering confidence in Christ Jesus. And so ask yourself, where are you at with that? Again, as you ponder the end, as you ponder that day when Christ is going to come and judge the living and the dead, where, where is your confidence? Focus on what the Lord has done for you. Focus on what all of God has done for you, how he is so intimately involved in all of his personhood to send you perfect love and to save you. That is absolute confidence. And we need to walk in that and grow in that. And then with that, so closely tied to this reality as well, is that abiding love also deals with our fear. That as abiding love perfects, it perfects our courage. And that we can have an ever-solidifying fearlessness before God and before the world. Verse 18, John writes, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Friends, the type of love that God has for you should blast away any kind of fear that you may be feeling, especially when you think about the end. As John says that there is no fear in love, friends, the perfect love that God has towards you and is working out in you is like oil and water when it comes to fear. When his perfect love shines, it scatters the darkness. It scatters the fears away. Just like how John says, perfect love casts out fear. That means that when when perfect love enters your heart, perfect love searches out those darkest corners and crevices within the heart where fear wants to hide, where fear wants to hang out and pop up. And when perfect love discovers those fears, it casts them out. It's the sense of this word is that it's being thrown out of the doors. Perfect love is like a bouncer of the heart, a security guard, a policeman of the heart. It casts it out of the doors of your heart. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear especially as the context here focuses on the day of judgment, the reality of death and eternity. Friends, again, as God wants you to have absolute confidence because of Christ's finished work for you, he also wants you to have absolutely no fear when you think about your coming death. He wants you to have no fear when it comes to thinking about eternity. That if you have the perfect love of God at work in you, it is working out your fear of the reality of death and eternity. For fear has to do with punishment. Now let me ask you, if you're a person that is prone to fear, prone to anxiety, especially when you do think about life and death and as you do think about the judgment to come, Let me ask you, when you think about those things, do those things cause you to crumble in fear? Do they give you great anxiety? 
I mean, just take a moment right now. Think about that coming day. Think about the day of Christ's return or think about the day you're going to die. How many people die in the world? 100%. We all die. So we're all going to die. Think about that day, whether that be from a coming heart attack or a stroke or maybe cancer or, or just old age, any number of things. Think about that day right now and ask yourself, am I afraid of that day? Am I afraid that when I close my eyes in death and that when my eyes open to eternity, ask yourself, am I afraid of that day? Is there any kind of fear involving that? Is that a terrifying reality to even think about? As you think about death and what is to come, what does your heart do with it? Do you have thoughts of just absolute peace and joy and hope that is inexpressible? Or or is there some fear and intrepidation that all of a sudden, this life and this world is over? And that now it's, it's truly out of my control. And as you think about God, you think about how all of this rests in the hands of God. As you think about him who is to judge the living uh, and the dead, does that cause you to squirm? Does it cause you to recoil and, and maybe begin to sweat a little bit and worry? Again, that's tied into your assurance that if you're not sure, that if you're not fully convinced, that you're, you might be wondering to yourself in the end, did I choose the right way? What if I'm wrong? What if Jesus isn't who he says he is? What if the Bible is wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I didn't do enough? Well, if that's your overall state of fear, when you think about these things, John says, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You haven't been completed in perfect love. No, as God wants you to be absolutely confident in him, this should radically change your normalization or your propensity to fear. Now, I think there's nothing wrong with wondering what will that day be like. I think there's nothing wrong with that feeling that you might experience upon death or or pondering the unknown or the infinite. But what John is getting at here is that crippling, seizing, immobilizing fear that you may be experiencing as you wonder about your standing before the Lord, as you wonder about your salvation. Friends, what what does your heart do when maybe you get on a plane and you're flying at 30,000 feet? Anybody say more prayers when they're flying? That's just me. Maybe you go to a place where it feels unsafe. Maybe you've been to a country where it's not exactly a safe place to be. Maybe you're facing sickness or disease, maybe an infection of some sort, or maybe you're facing a diagnosis of something that may be terminal. What do you do when the balance of life is set before you and you can clearly see the fragility of life and the brevity of life set before you? 
Do you freeze like a, like a popsicle? Or do you, do you worry? Do you, do you flip out in anxiety because you can't control it? You can't stop it. Maybe when it comes to you thinking about your family and the reality of life and death that they may, they may experience at any time. Do you worry about those things? Or are you like David who said in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your, your staff, they comfort me. In the shadow of death, right? Speaking about death looming at all times. Are you trusting in your great shepherd? I know Chris talked about this last week. Are you like Paul in Philippians 1.21 where he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do we truly believe that to die is gain? Do you know what the most common command in Scripture is? It's do not fear. Do not be afraid. Friends, some of you certainly fear the end. You fear the judgment. You fear death. And some even go further to fear anything that is outside of your control. You fear for your life. You fear for your children's lives. You fear for anything that you can't wrap your own mitts around and control. Friends, let me, let me remind you that when you fear, you're not trusting the one who is actually in control of your life. You're not trusting the one who is, who is actually appointed the day that you are going to die. The one who is in control over death and eternity. When you fear, you're in a sense telling God that God, you're not doing good enough and I could do better on the throne. In fact, in a way, you're, you're trying to be a better God. And if that's you, this is a call to repentance. You need to truly trust that God is in sovereign control. And if you're a Christian, your eternity is held securely in perfect love. If that's you, the Bible says that you are a slave to fear rather than a slave to Christ. To which we remember Paul teaching in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, if you have been set free from fear, as Christ came to destroy sin and death, he came, as Hebrews 2.15 says, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, as Christ came as perfect love to cast out all fear, he came to remove the shackles of fear from you. We have no more fear in life or death. We love to sing that, but do we truly believe it? But then as God begins to grow you and to work in you, in his Trinitarian perfect love, friends, you can arrive at a place of courage. You can arrive at a place where that begins to solidify. And when you arrive at a place of fearlessness, you better watch out because you better watch out what God is going to do in you and through you. This is a gospel fearlessness that we have been, we've been given. This is a gospel fearlessness that leads us to do radical things for God. To go to the greatest depths and lengths for God. No matter what dangers we may face, we're going to go because we know that, that God has us. We're secure. 
It can't be taken away. And we have an urgent amount of time left to go for him. So no matter what the dangers you face, you can go forth in the power of the Spirit with the gospel. Friends, this is what the apostles did. This is what took them to the ends of the earth as they knew it at that time. This is what turned the world upside down as they were persecuted, just as Christ was, as they were jailed, and ultimately as they were martyred and killed. And it is precisely because perfect love casts out fear. E.H. Hamilton said this, he said, Afraid? Afraid of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Now I understand that it may be easier said than done. Of course, right? You may fully agree but in moments, you turn back to fear. You run back to fear. Maybe it's an old comfort for you. Friends, if that is you, nobody expects perfect love from you, perfect courage. No, that's God's territory. But even though that is true, you need to remember that uh, as abiding love perfects, it completes. This is a progressive work of God in you. That as you abide in perfect love, he continues to work that out. And by his spirit, he begins to strengthen you by his spirit so that you can keep abiding and you can keep fighting your fears. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And then thirdly, as we see this perfect Trinitarian love abiding and completing us, what we also see is John's resounding theme of loving one another, that, that perfect abiding love perfects our compassion. It perfects our compassion. And it begins to produce an authenticating love. Verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Friends, this is the resounding symbol that John keeps hitting throughout this letter. Remember this church that he's writing to has gone through a major fallout. There was false teachers preaching a false gospel, faulty theology, and it was destroying the church. But the church he's writing to right now in, in 1 John is is a church that has come through that. The false teachers have gone out from us. They were not of us. They were antichrists. But now with this collection and this congregation of people left, there was this fragility of relationship. And loving one another was something that needed to be commanded. And so he keeps painting the picture of what loving one another should look like. He starts out with that foundation of this overflowing love. And he starts out with this Trinitarian perfecting love. And he returns again to this command that we must love one another. And so as John has been...